Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Everybody should understand that uh, no career can be successful if you forget your primary role and that for a mother is absolutely to be a mother. So the first pregnancy, yeah, didn't finish up well. I lost the baby when I was nine months pregnant. I, I couldn't afford to stop working. So uh, um, I actually had my babies in the kitchen, uh, sleeping in the kitchen. Since they're born, I take my time to eat with them. I believe that that was the only moment of the day, sitting at the table together, that hour was the hour for the family. It's their own decision when they will open themselves into trying. You cannot push, but you always need to give them a chance to try. This is how they tasted raw deer heart when they were children. They were trying snails, frogs. I believe that the most important thing is not maybe what you cook, but to eat together. I'm author and journalist Laura Price, and you're listening to Life in Food, inspiring stories in bite-sized pieces. Each week, I interview a different guest about how food has helped them through some of their biggest challenges. With a different theme each week, we look at everything from food and love to food and friendship, food and fertility, and even food and grief. This week's episode is Food and Motherhood with Anna Ross, chef-owner of the world-famous restaurant Hisa Franco in Kobarit, Slovenia. Anna was named the world's best female chef in 2017, and Hisa Franco currently sits at number 21 in the world's 50 best restaurants list. But beyond the accolades, Anna is a hard-working mother of two. She became a chef by accident, taking over her then-husband's restaurant when her father-in-law retired. That meant turning down the job as a diplomat that she had been offered in Brussels, which led to her own father stop talking to her. Since then, Anna has starred in her own episode of the brilliant Chef's Table documentary on Netflix and has won countless accolades. In 2020, she published her beautiful memoir, Sun and Rain, featuring recipes alongside moving stories on everything from losing a baby to suffering from anorexia and overcoming family pressure to follow a different career path. 
I first interviewed Anna in 2017 when she won the World's Best Female Chef Award, and we've since met at culinary events all over the world. I was so inspired when I watched Anna's Chef's Table episode that the same year I took a three-day road trip in Slovenia with my best friend and drove to the stunning Socha Valley to eat at Anna's restaurant Hisa Franco. I had the most incredible experience walking in the forest near the restaurant before eating a tasting menu of dishes made from all local ingredients from the area. I'll never forget Anna's delicate ravioli in particular. Despite her tremendous career success, Anna has always stressed that motherhood is her number one job. When she received the Best Female Chef Award, she dedicated her acceptance speech to her children. In another sense, she considers herself a mother to her team, who she took care of when they were unable to return to their families when lockdown hit Slovenia in 2020. So today, we're here to talk about food and motherhood, from the dishes she cooks for her children when they're sick or sad, to finding comfort from food when the going gets tough. Anna, thank you so much for joining us and welcome to Life in Food. Well, thank you for inviting me, Laura. So let's start by talking about Hisha Franco. For anyone who's never been, could you describe the restaurant in a few words? Well, I think Hisha Franco is a restaurant that doesn't have a lot to do with uh, a classical uh, uh, way the restaurant uh, should look like or people think about. Um, it's a place of, uh, it's a home. It's a place uh, where 40 people from all around the world work and live together. Uh, so I think that the family feeling uh, that people have when they cross the door of Hisha Franco is sometimes uh, making them think like, what's going to happen next? Um, and every year, I believe we emphasize more this community story. Uh, Hisha Franco is a home to my children, is a home to uh, um, my parents-in-law. Uh, it's a home to a big family of trouts, of my dog Prince, of my cat Berta. And uh, when we were thinking uh, over Michelin coming to um, to Slovenia, which happened last year, I I thought like, uh, is this a kind of a restaurant that Michelin will understand that it needs to stay exactly as it is? Because this homish feeling that you have is uh, what connects you to a hospitality of a countryside, I would say. And obviously the home feeling connects us to what we're going to talk about as well, which is motherhood. Um, but before that, you had an unconventional path to becoming a chef, didn't you? Can you tell us a little bit about that? Well, um, it's a great story. We could do a movie about that because uh, I come uh, from an environment where um, cooking uh, or uh, working in a restaurant, being a cook, a chef, or even uh, front of the house uh, is not really um, a respectful work for which like uh, a small child uh, would uh, fight for or dream about. Um, Slovenia uh, was a part of ex-Yugoslavia and in those times um, I think all restaurants were just a copy-paste of uh, uh, each other without any creativity. Uh, the food was meant to feed your body um, and not uh, something creative. So uh, if you uh, understand this reality and then think over um, a little girl born in, in the ambitious family, uh, a father, my father was a doctor, a pneumologist, my mother a journalist, and, uh, of course, they wanted for her children all the best. I was an excellent uh, student. I speak five languages. 
I was like uh, almost professional skier and uh, classical and contemporary dancer. So uh, what you can think uh, of the career of a child like that is maybe being a doctor or a diplomat. So I actually really studied diplomacy. and But then something happened that wasn't predictable. I fell in love with a local guy. They had um, this small restaurant, very simple one on a countryside. And I uh, suddenly decided that uh, the heart for me is maybe an important issue. And I decided to stay. I gave up the diplomatic career and work in Brussels. I a little bit cheated on my parents because um, I actually continued lying that I'm discussing my, my career in Brussels, but I actually stopped talking to them. And uh, one day uh, they realized I'm going to stay and work where they could never dream of, and that was in the kitchen. And uh, so I think my parents really didn't take it very well. Uh, I would say that my mom despite my career, is uh, still a little bit looking me from the distance. And she's super happy because I'm writing the second book now, uh, all by myself. Um, and she's like uh, somehow uh, proud of me because I'm showing talents also somewhere else, but not, not only in the kitchen. And this is a little bit how it all went with a lot of ups and downs because I'm completely self-taught. I never stashed. I never, because we couldn't afford it, we couldn't close the restaurant down. So I actually started experimenting and cooking on guests directly, learning uh, um, on my mistakes, uh, working all days, all nights, having two children in the meantime, never stopped um, working and learning actually through my mistakes. And I was like, that was the time we were also financially pretty broken because we needed to invest to the house. So we didn't have time to travel a young mom with two children with not a lot of money, couldn't really go and discover the world outside. And uh, this is how uh, the kitchen of Hisha Franco uh, was and was discovered by, uh, by journalists at the beginning uh, because it was completely different. Uh, it had nothing to do with the stories of great restaurants around the world. Um, a lot of dishes were actually built on mistakes. So somehow, um, you know, I always say, like, I started doing mayonnaise another way around, the other way around. People were looking at me, how do you do a mayonnaise? And I was like, I mean, I just discovered warm water. and But my mayonnaise was better than the classical one. So um, this is a little bit how it all happened. Of course, today, Hisha Franco, I'm not alone anymore. I'm not peeling potatoes and uh, waking up early in the morning to make bread. Uh, especially after Chef's Table, uh, there was like the restaurant got so much attention that uh, waiting lists for months for table that I needed to start delegating my work and organizing myself to a proper team. But imagine that up to Chef's Table, it was 2016, I was... The first in the kitchen, the last to go, doing practically everything, having two, three people with me, but that was it. Today, in the kitchen, we are 20. We are well organized. I have my head chef, my sous chef, my baker, um, and I can do what I am probably the best at, and that's the creative part, dreaming about flavors, uh, textures, food combinations. But I have had, today, I have finally enough hands that I can realize uh, my dream which is um, interpretation 
of uh, this beautiful environment, uh, all micro-local, uh, supporting farmers, uh, shepherds, uh, and bringing them to my menu and uh, talking stories about local people, local environment. Oh, it's an incredible success story. But obviously becoming a chef was something you fell into unintentionally. What about motherhood? Was that something that you always felt destined for? Something that you always wanted to do? I am very different to my sister. My sister was always playing with children around. When she saw a baby, she would be like, go and... uh, embrace the baby watch out the babies I wasn't like that I I think I always thought like uh, I I even never thought about being a mother but then one day I I think I was 29 uh, we were together with Walter already for a few years he was like listen it's time I was like time for what and he was like time for babies and I was like but I'm a baby <laughs> I I, I, you know, creative people can be babies for the whole life, and I couldn't imagine that I, I can do it, especially because I just started, I was just starting my career. But then I, you know, I was so much in love, and I was like, but okay. And uh, so the first pregnancy, yeah, didn't finish up well. I lost the baby when I was nine months pregnant. So, yeah, after that, I actually dedicated myself uh, to work. I started working in the kitchen at that time. But then six months later, I was pregnant again with um, with Sweet. And I think I was pregnant with Sweet for three months when I actually really took over the kitchen. Eight months later, I was pregnant with Eva Clara. They're just 16 months difference. I never stopped working. I actually... I remember going to hospital to get to deli- to get delivery with sweet the evening before I was still cooking closing down the restaurant and then I came to the hospital and they were like uh, are you okay because it was like a month to go and I was like yeah yeah I'm perfect but I, I was also really in shape working all days evenings and and then he checked me he was like but my god you are three centimeters open we you're about to have a baby and I was like wow so two days later, Sweet was born. <laughs> I I couldn't afford to stop working. So uh, um, I actually had my babies in the kitchen, uh, sleeping in the kitchen, uh, playing in the kitchen. Guests were babysitters sometimes. I it's Still today it happens. People come in and they were like, can I see Sweet and Eva Clara? And then, of course, these are huge babies, not babies, they're huge human beings now. And they're like, but uh, do you remember I was like, when you were six months old and your mom had to work, I just took over and uh, made you sleep. And of course, Sweet and Eva don't remember, but uh, people have these very, uh, very strong memories about their growing up. I'm talking about guests, not even friends. But this is how they grew up, and they they are they are very very socially open um, because they were growing in this huge community. Um, sometimes they would be coming down uh, uh, from the apartment in the middle of the service, crying because they didn't get the mathematic uh, homework. And then maybe I was asking who is available, and then someone from the service was like, "I'll do it." So somehow I think that we are all a little bit mothers and fathers to these two children, and they are very attached to um, to the to the group of people who is working with me. 
Oh, wow. What an incredible life they've had. So Svit and Eva Clara are now 18 and 17. How are their personalities now and what are they planning to do now that they're almost adults? So we just came back from our uh, traveling trip, a little bit unsuccessful, to Cuba, uh, where I said uh, something that it, it stroke a lot of people. I said, can you imagine if we just turned 19? Actually, Eva Clara is going to be 18 uh, this summer. And they still want to travel with their mom. We were like sitting uh, in uh, at people's homes or in the restaurants uh, in Havana and out of Havana, uh, spending evening in playing cards, discussing uh, discussing what what is going on in Cuba, discussing um, politics, discussing life, discussing uh, broken hearts. And I was thinking, like, can you imagine? Um, how often it happens that children of that age are so close to their parents. And um, maybe mm. the reason is also because I uh, I don't want to m- make mistakes that my parents have, imposing uh, life, my life philosophy and my work or my ambitions on their shoulders. So we very openly discuss their life, what they want to do. And I never give them pressure because that pressure, especially in the family restaurants, can be can bring to wrong decisions. And I leave them naturally decide what they want. They're finishing high school. Sweet just expressed in this trip in Cuba that maybe he would really go studying in Bra Scienze Gastronomiche, so gastronomic science. And I was like, wow. But he was like, you know, I'm not interested in kitchen. And I said, I see you're not creative at all, mm. but let's say he's interested in uh, uh, restaurant marketing and managing, and I believe this is something that is very useful. Sometimes we too often forget about that. Eva Clara, on the other side, she's an actor in her life. She's uh, she has a brilliant emotional intelligence, and uh, since she's 13, in the summer she helps in service. She's super into biodynamic natural wines when like whenever we have tastings she's already opinionated about it and she knows that i think that she's the best food runner i've ever i have ever seen the way she explains my food is really like uh in three languages perfect uh, but i i just she knows i think it but she will decide for herself in this moment she's in love with a young maori from new zealand so i'm scared that she may escape on the other part of the world <sighs> Oh, but I'm sure you would understand. You've seen the value of traveling and learning from the world. So I'm sure you would understand if she went to New Zealand. Well, amazing. We will have a new, a beautiful new home. So uh, today flying is not so difficult. But uh, yeah, you know, she's young for these kind of decisions. Yeah. And um, you mentioned that the kids have lived in the house, in the restaurant their whole lives. Hisha Franco means house of Franco. So um, your children have grown up around food their entire lives. Did you have a separation between the food from the restaurant and the food in your home so that they had separate meal times, or have they kind of always eaten the restaurant food growing up? No, no, absolutely not. I strictly divided that. So um, since they're born, I take my time to eat with them home cooking um so for lunch they anyway eat at school but in the evenings i always took a role of a mother and cook them a meal that i thought is good for them they were both strongly into athletics so they needed 
enough proteins and uh, enough carbohydrates. So I would always cook a separate food. And I was a little bit addicted to that. I It was me who wanted to cook. Uh, today they cook themselves already and sometimes they cook for me too. But uh, in all these years, I would uh, uh, skip an hour of service, uh, spending time cooking for children and eating with children. And then they showered, went to bed and I went back to work. And I believe that that was the only moment of the day sitting at the table together um, discussing their day, that hour was the hour for the family. Everybody should understand that uh, no career can be successful if you forget your primary role and that for a mother is absolutely to be a mother. Yeah, and I'm not a mother, so I don't understand everything, but most of my friends who are mothers have had some difficulty at some point in getting their children to eat or in getting their children to eat healthily. Um, did you ever experience that? And do you have any tips for mums or new mums in getting their kids to eat vegetables, getting their kids to be adventurous about food? Well, I believe there is a natural process with children. So often it happens to me, like uh, um, I meet mothers, uh, guests who come to the restaurant with I don't know one year old child and uh, and people claim because my child you know he is a gourmet and I was like okay one year old child cannot be a gourmet yeah because he <laughs> even eats the most bitter olives because he can have spicy cheeses and he can have spicy pasta and I'm like yeah of course but he will give you back this uh, this story and it actually I honestly believe that the palate of children is uh, evolving and changing all the time. As they are growing up, uh, this is how um, how their palate is growing up as well. I think you have to be soft and listen to them. And then one day you will see very soon that they will understand uh, completely what they eat. So there is a story about my children not eating vegetables at all when they were like seven, eight years old. I eat very healthy food and a lot of vegetables. They probably had a rejection and I never, never pushed them. I was like, okay, cooking very healthy way, but adapted to a children's palate. And then they were eight and nine. We were flying to Madagascar, stopping in Paris for a few days. And I booked a true Michelin star restaurant. And we went inside and I said, uh, so, and for the children, I we would pick two or three courses uh, out of this long tasting menu. There was one menu only. And they said, excuse me, every customer needs to eat the full menu. And I was like, looking at them, it was 24 course menu <laughs> and looking at children. And I was like, there was no solution. I was like, okay, let's go. There were beetroots, there were beans, there were greens. Uh, of course, everything was transformed. And the children not only ate up everything, I was ashamed because they were licking plates. And I, <laughs> wow. I thought, you know, um, it's their own decision when they will open themselves into trying. You cannot push. But you always need to give them a chance to try. This is how they tasted, I don't know, raw deer heart when they were children. They were trying snails. They were trying frogs. And um, if they wanted to finish, I was happy. But if they say, no, this is too extreme for me, I would say, absolutely, let's do something different. Today, I must say that when we eat a family meal, they're obsessed by eating in a healthy way, uh, not too fat food. Um, and I believe that uh, being uh, open-minded when they're growing up 
but understanding them uh, that you know pushing someone into something that he doesn't like actually makes you pay a price at the end so today my children do not eat junk food uh they actually avoid it not because i said so but because they think so and it's amazing yeah it's all about making their own decisions and what about in pregnancy how did you prepare yourself for motherhood through food and did you experience any major cravings mm, so no i honestly didn't eat more uh, you know on the countryside we say that people pregnant women should eat for three i think i ate for one um i didn't change my diet at all because in my normal life i eat in a very healthy way and um, this is what i kept uh i never had uh any problem at all my health checks were always amazing and even i um i let in the places or in uh, uh knowing the ingredients uh, i would eat normally seafood or um i don't know uh medium rare prepared meat when i knew that the meat um doesn't have uh i mean it has a history as it has to have it um i honestly think that sometimes we over exaggerate uh thinking that pregnancy is sickness but pregnancy uh, for a healthy woman mm. shouldn't be a stressful time so i uh, sometimes when pregnant women come to the restaurant and um i tell them my story i said like you are in a really safe place uh, everything is worked freshly on a daily basis so if you want to enjoy your meal you can but the decision is yours and i honestly think that too often it happens that uh, we take pregnancies um as a period uh that is almost really a sickness uh which is not it's a natural state of the body yeah and i guess all of those anxieties when you, when you absorb so much information and so many different pieces of information that can contribute to anxiety which of course is not health- healthy you know, My farmer either. Jean um had a baby last summer. We have uh, two farmers, French Canadian Italian couple living on 900 meters having gardens for us. And so when she got pregnant, she called me and she was like, "What should I do? There's so much work on a the farm. They already have one baby which Lou has three years." And uh, I was like, "But what are you thinking about?" And she was like, "But I really don't want to drop this idea of the garden now." and i was like you will see you will make it she was working on a farm the day she left for the hospital she was she's eating everything she's vegetarian she eats from the garden like she's picking eating picking eating mm. uh, she makes she's completely self sustainable so she cooks the food at home she makes flowers at home from what they grow the day 3 days after the baby she came from the hospital and she already brought us vegetables and i was looking at her and i was thinking like can you understand what a natural state is being a mother or being pregnant today we overcomplicate i believe jean could be an example what is taking well the pregnancy and being a natural mother afterwards it's that time of the year your vacation is coming up you can already hear the beach waves feel the warm breeze relax 
and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow wherever you are. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. When you were growing up, who was the cook in your family and what kind of dishes did you eat as a child? It was my mom, always. I think my father only can make pancakes and eggs. And uh, she, you, you know, she comes from a very aristocratic family. So um, her mother was cooking like half French recipes. And uh, it's what my mom kept. Um, but the, her cooking was a lot more spontaneous and natural uh, with a lot of vegetables. Uh, and uh, I would say a lot of Mediterranean diet. She's from the seaside, so we would be eating a lot of fish, um, but very quick cooking. So I don't know. She was famous to know how to cook the sardines without making the the apartment smelling of fish for a few days. Um, uh, the table was always full of uh, um, especially fresh fresh greens, uh, cooked vegetables, and then always some fish around the corner. Uh, I believe that was probably the healthiest food a child can have when the child is growing up. But she made me hate broccoli and cauliflower, and I still don't eat it. Why? Because she was forcing me to eat it, because she said it's healthy for me. Uh. And I, if I see broccoli, I see myself sitting at the table as a child saying, like, oh, no, broccoli again. I know it's healthy, but I just don't like it. This is what I avoided when the children were growing up. Well, it sounds like an incredibly healthy childhood, even though you didn't eat the broccoli and the cauliflower. But when your children are sick now or if they're sad, is there a go-to dish that you make them to make them feel better? Well, yeah, they they would continuously eat pasta with homemade tomato sauce. This is like uh, when you don't know what to do or how to make them happy, like we make our own tomato sauce in Istria out of 800 kilos of 
the most sunny Istrian tomatoes that are sweet as apples or even sweeter. And uh, that sauce saves me when I don't have time for cooking because an amazing uh, pasta al dente, rich with the tomato sauce with a little bit of olive oil on the top, a little bit of fresh ricotta from the high mountain is something that children can eat 500 grams each and they say, oof, that was so good. Mm, oh, that sounds absolutely incredible. Um, and now that they're growing up and they're almost adults, is there any particular dish or food that you eat, that you make for them to stay connected to them? I think we we eat in such a various way because I'm someone who opens the fridge, checks what's in the fridge and say the food is every day different. I say like, okay, enter the bay. Today the menu is going to be what I find in the fridge. Or I go down in the garden, pick some things. So I believe that the most important thing is not maybe what you cook, but to eat together. To open a bottle yeah. of wine. Now we all drink wine already. To have uh, some beautiful water on the table. Um, Eva Clara decided to be a vegetarian. Uh, and I respect it. She eats fish, so she's a pescatarian. So we all eat, don't eat usually meat. And... Um, I think being at the table, taking that hour to chat, to talk over the day, uh, to see what's going on in their life is more important to what you really put on the table. Yeah, that makes sense. So going back a little bit, you talk in your wonderful memoir about how you lost the baby when you were 30 years old and you were actually nine months pregnant. How did that experience affect you? And was there any particular food that helped you to heal? Well, you know, we often avoid talking about uh, um, dramas in our life, but dramas shape us and drama makes mm. us being human beings and they make us being exactly who we are today. Um, therefore, I decided to speak about it, especially losing a baby at such a high pregnancy is very, is very painful. Um, at that time, I decided I didn't want to get help. So I think 10 days after that episode, Walter closed down the restaurant for two months and we went on the road trip to Italy. And uh, it was an amazing therapy. I could write a book about just about that trip. Um, but there was an episode that happened and I have to tell you about. So uh, uh, we started driving from Kubarit. Really, I he needed to put my seat down because I was so weak. And of course, like mm. I was crying all the time. So we, our first stop was Le Marche at some friends. And then we drove down to Puglia. And I will never forget a moment. We arrived to Puglia and we, we didn't tell friends we were visiting in Bari what happened. And um, so uh, we arrived and there was a table long. I, in my memory, it's 10 meter long table. And all uh, friends, it was like probably 20 people eating together, waiting for us to join them. They organized this dinner because we were coming. And there was like each woman brought a variety of food. And in Puglia, the food is so good. And I remember that that was the first happy moment um, after this tragedy. But the peak of everything was uh, driving to Sicily. And uh, when we were on a ferry uh, with our car, 
I started getting completely dry mouth. So it was gastritis, which starts after, you know, all the shocks that were going on, my sadness, mm-hmm. my crying. And um, so we reached Taormina and it was November. There was no one around. And uh, I, I started getting dizzy. I couldn't swallow. And then uh, I started panicking. And then we said, okay, let's go to the doctor. So um, Taormina wasn't that touristic at that time. I'm talking about the year 2001. And especially in November, there is no one. So we asked in hotel where is uh, the closest doctor. And we got to a local hospital and it was empty. And I remember that when we were walking, uh, you could see our feet on the floor because there was so much dust. And so we knocked on the door where like uh, the emergency doctor should be. And there is a woman, a very skinny woman in a white uh, doctor's jacket with a cigarette in her hands. There was a television on the back and she had a glass of wine there. And she was like, okay, what do you need? And he said, well, she is dizzy. She can't swallow. She can't breathe. Of course, a panic attack. And she said like, okay, come inside. She lied me down and she was like, she checked me and she was like, okay, guys, what's going on? And then we told her the whole story that like two weeks before I lost the baby, that I'm like in a shock. She made me sit. She brought me a glass of wine and she said, you know what, guys? Now I tell you what you have to do. Around the corner, my friend has a restaurant. Go order a bottle of wine or two. Have a plate full of pasta with botarga. She said pasta with butarga and pistachio and then go to sleep and you see the life will be better. And we did it. And I I still think about uh, the la saggezza, we say in Italian, uh, the wiseness of that woman that sometimes, you know, life is even grieving, um, needs to have heavy, happy moments in the middle. So from there, we drove all over Sicily. We took a ferry to Napoli. And then we did Costiera Malfitana and I got home almost two months later. And I would say that I was ready to start thinking over next baby. Oh, that's wonderful. And it's so great to think that you can construct happy memories from from the sad times in life, especially with food and travel, which is two of the most healing things that we have. It's true. Um, it's true, but you also need to be open-minded and you need to start accepting ac- accepting it. And that's the crucial moment in grieving. Yeah. Well, you also talked in the memoir about having anorexia when you were younger. Is that, and now you're obviously a world-famous chef, is that something that you can ever completely overcome? Well, you don't. Um, I, whenever I speak to girls that are anorexic, Uh, at the age of 17, 18, which is the crucial time of starting accepting yourself as you are. And this is precisely the time that it started with me. I tell them, you know what? Your problem is that it will always stay somehow with you. So you better start dealing with it now. Um, I think I still react on very stressful moments by just stop eating. And uh, uh, it's a kind of hurting yourself. Um, I, I work a lot on it by doing an hour, an hour and a half of sports every day and by keeping the body moving and very healthy, I of course avoid so much stress and then I avoid having, um, uh, these moments when I try to, uh, somehow 
hurt myself by saying uh, uh, everybody's eating your favorite dish, but you're not going to eat. But it also shows um, shows uh, something that um, I believe everybody who has eating disorders have, and this is uh, that we never really um, are the happiest with ourselves. We are somehow absolutists who always look for perfection, and of course, uh, which body is perfect. Uh, but this reflects also the way I see uh, my career, my cooking, uh, why Hisha Frank is one of the restaurants that has a constant evolution is because I never believed that we are, we are there, that we can still do more. And uh, this is what a lot of anorexic people actually uh, have it. Like they, we always think we can be more perfect, uh, more beautiful. And uh, yeah, that's, I would say that uh, I'm uh, proud of myself because uh, I can really control it very well. And uh, I talk a lot about it with my children, especially with a daughter, Mm -hmm. which is in the age that these things could happen. And uh, I believe that um, accepting yourself exactly as you are is the most important thing. But, and never forget that most of anorexic people actually later on become very successful in their life because um, they're actually those who are always fighting to be better, to do things in a better way, to be more perfect. And, uh, well, that makes their career normally shine a lot. Yeah, that's really interesting. But I also, I, I really appreciate the the thought of always acknowledging it, not trying to hide that it ever happened and just, you know, remembering that that, that, that is part of yourself and it's something that you can confront so you've often referred to the staff of Hisha Franco as your family. And I know you have a lot of young members of the team and in some ways you, you feel like a mother to them. But in terms of motherhood, how does your role with them, with the team, differ from the role you play with your biological children? Well, it, there is not really a big difference. Of course, you spend so much time together, even more than with my children. And um, I believe that they know I'm always there when. Uh, um, when uh, they have a problem, whether that is a personal or professional problem. That's why I sometimes really absorb a lot of stress because Hisha Franco is in such a countryside that um, these people are a lot more connected uh, one to each other than in other places because there is nowhere to go. Like when we finish the service, there is no place you can have a beer or a chat with someone because everything is closed already. So... uh, we remain uh, always one to each other by being, of course, older than others and being somehow the reason why they decided to travel. There, I always open myself to um, their needs, whether that is being strict or sometimes if that is uh, giving uh, an advice or if sometimes somebody just needs to cry things out. Um, mm. I honestly believe that a lot of male chefs do it as well, but it's more on a female side uh, because we are a little bit more sensitive uh, to see uh, ups and downs of people. And, um, you know, uh, we are just human beings and sometimes uh, you need to have someone to talk to. So um, by being older than others, by being their chef also and responsible for them, um, I honestly believe that the it is important. I I give them a chance. They can open themselves up. And this is what children do with their mom. 
my last uh, I have to tell you that because it's it's a great story um my uh, my last uh, successful mission uh, was uh, getting into a team um, a young uh, uh, afghani immigrant uh, which actually, together with my friend who was a diplomat, he's my ex-schoolmate um, when I was studying diplomacy. He was uh, working on European mission in Kabul. Uh, and when he was evacuated, uh, he made sure that from Brussels he saved everyone uh, who needed to go escape from uh, uh, Kabul uh, because they were in danger. So one of them was a young boy that uh, when I said to Edo, how, what can I do to help this tragedy? And he was like, you know what? Why don't you take one of them and integrate them to the life? And so mission accomplished in January, we actually, to, with the help of Ministry of Foreign Affairs, got uh, this boy to Slovenia. And he officially has uh, a residence in Kobarit now. And he's a part of our front of the house group. And, um, you know, a few days ago, he called me. We are gathering back from holidays now. And he was like, Chef, I'm coming back uh, from Ljubljana. Is there anything I can bring you? And he actually made me cry. When he got back, he gave me the biggest surprise I could ever have. In two months, he learned perfect Slovenian. And uh, I think sometimes how having this mother feeling of needing to help someone repays you with such such a great result. Integrating like an immigrant, uh, giving him a pride, uh, a work, a family, a home um, is something that uh, on sometimes I think uh, good-hearted people, but mostly mothers, would think that can happen and is realizable. Yeah, that's so rewarding. So now that you're a top chef who gets invited to events all over the world with speaking engagements and cooking engagements, how do you juggle that with motherhood and how do you make sure that you do make time for your children? Well, that's the horrible part of it. I always live with an immense sense of guilt. Like uh, even now when they are 17, 19, almost 18, 19, I, I feel guilty whenever I'm away from them. Uh, we have uh, like our WhatsApp group is always super active because uh, when I'm away, I would always check uh, in the morning. Did you wake up? Did you have breakfast? Even more from when they are here, because when they're here, I sleep when uh, they actually go to school. But when I'm away, I have this kind of a control moment that I need to understand uh, every segment of their life. Um, but they also travel a lot with me. So uh, whenever I can, I take them on the mission with me uh, at least a few times per year. So uh, they understand better my work. They have seen a lot of world by that. Uh, and at school, they are very comprehensive that we are not a classical family. And sometimes uh, schooling from distance makes the family uh, work somehow uh, better out their community needs. I think um, you were traveling with your kids to Italy at a point that you mentioned in your memoir where there was a man that you met who said something to your daughter about this amazing restaurant in Slovenia 
and he didn't believe that you were the chef of that restaurant. Can you tell us that story? Well, yeah, this is how I actually met one of my best friends. So I was um, coming back from Austria from one of the cooking events. And um, so I stopped in Italy in a restaurant to have a meal and uh, with my daughter who was with me uh, on that trip. And uh, so there was a man on the table uh, beside us and um, this man uh, uh, of course I think he wanted to reach me through my daughter so he started like somehow she was small like I don't know six five seven and he was talking um, to her like hey uh, beautiful girl where do you come from and Eva's English is really good since she was small. And so she said, ah, I'm from Kubarid. And he was like, wow, but I know in Kubarid there is an amazing restaurant. And she was like, yeah, yeah. And he was like, and there is a, an incredible female chef. And she was like, yeah, that's my mom. And he was like, yeah, you're kidding me. And then she was like, uh, no. And he was like, yeah. And where is Hisha Franca? She was like, yeah, Hisha Franca is my home. And he was like, I don't believe you. And this is how it all started. And uh, he was a golf teacher. He took her on a golf tour later on. And uh, two days later, he came to the restaurant. And this is how our friendship started, which oh, today is one of the deepest ones. <laughs> <laughs> all right. I'm, I'm going to move on to the questions that I ask everyone on this podcast, the quick questions. So your relationship to food, fuel or pleasure? Pleasure. Favorite meal of the day? Dinner with children. Name one meal that always makes you feel happy. I'm sorry and it's so repetitive, but I'm the biggest fan of pizza. I'm talking about the really good pizza. Oh, I thought you were going to say pasta. Ah, uh, no, no, no. For me, pizza. <laughs> and name one food that has healed you. Well, the famous spaghetti with botarga and pistacchio. One dish that reminds you of family. Mussels in Buzara. Uh, with a lot of garlic, parsley, and uh, breadcrumbs, and white wine. What's buzara? Uh, buzara is a sauce in which, uh, in this part of Mediterranean, we cook uh, usually uh, mussels and other clams. Uh, it's a lot of white wine, uh, um, it's a lot of parsley, a lot of garlic, and breadcrumbs. And then you take bread and you actually put, uh, you soak the bread in this incredible sauce in which mm. the mussels released also their sea flavors and that is what we were cooking in our little stone house in istria picking mussels ourselves going then to the farmers to get garlic and then every evening uh, we would be like in heaven with that mm. particular dish which is a sharing sounds... dish it's always in the middle of the table sounds delicious one recipe that everyone should know how to cook pasta with tomato sauce your best meal ever? I I think it doesn't go on the quality of the food, but on the happiness of the moment. Uh, but it probably has happened in Noma. Oh, interesting. Finally, some food for thought. What is the one piece of advice you would give to anyone in terms of motherhood? I believe that uh, to love your children is to respect your children and their integrity. You have to talk to them, but you especially have to listen to them. Listen. That, I think that's something that can apply to so many things in life. Mm -hmm. Very good advice. 
Anna, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I've loved delving deeper into your role as a mother and I've always been able to hear the passion in your voice when you talk about being a mom and when you talk about your children. So hopefully we've inspired a few people to visit your restaurant Hisa Franco in Slovenia and I hope to see you again soon. Well, all the best, Laura. Have an amazing day and uh, I hope to see you soon uh, wherever or somewhere around the world or in Slovenia. Welcome. Thank you so much, Anna. If you enjoyed my interview with Anna Ross, you can read her beautiful book, Anna Ross, Sun and Rain, a collection of stories and recipes tracking her life at Hisa Franco and beyond. I would also recommend you check out her episode of the Chef's Table documentary on Netflix, which will absolutely make you want to take a trip to the Socha Valley in Slovenia. It's just stunning. You can also buy my book, Single Bald Female, which is a novel about Jess, a young magazine journalist who is diagnosed with breast cancer and makes a remarkable new friend who teaches her all about living life to the full. Single Bald Female deals with motherhood from two different angles. Jess is grieving the death of her own mother, but at the same time she deals with the possibility of not becoming a mother herself due to her cancer treatment. So that's something that I explore in the book. And while Single Ball Female deals with some heavy issues like cancer and grief, it's very much an uplifting book with lots of joy and a lot of people have said it made them both laugh and cry. We talked a little about grief in this episode, which leads me on to next week's episode, which is a brilliant and inspiring interview about food and grief with the journalist Clover Stroud. Clover's new memoir, The Red of My Blood, is about the first year of grief she experienced after the death of her sister Nell at the end of 2019, right before the pandemic began. And in the memoir, she expresses her grief in a way that I've really never heard before. Um, I found it incredibly captivating and moving. And so I've spoken to her about food and grief and the way her appetite was affected after her sister's death and how food ties into her family and her memories and her thoughts on grief and death. So make sure you subscribe to the podcast so that you don't miss that episode. It's a really fantastic one. If you're enjoying this podcast, please give it a nice juicy rating as these really help more people to discover it. You can follow me on Instagram at Laura Price Writes, where you'll find more information on my debut novel and my newsletter, as well as upcoming episodes of this podcast. Thank you for listening to Life and Food with Laura Price. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volur XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Planning for your next trip? 
Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. 